Welcome to Buy, Grow, Sell, a podcast for entrepreneurs looking to acquire, grow, or exit a business, hosted by Simon Bedard. Hey there, it's Simon Bedard here. If you're brand new to the Buy, Grow, Sell podcast, then welcome. It's great to have you on this journey. Since its launch, I've interviewed many entrepreneurs that have bought, grown, or sold a business. And in some cases, they've completed all three steps and started all over again. Our goal is to share the stories of business owners that have traveled at least part of this cycle so that we can learn from their experience. Whether it's the dizzying heights of success or the hard lessons learned through adversity, we get to the heart of what drives success and how to apply these lessons on your journey. So join us for the best insights, interviews, and inside information on how to buy, grow, and sell a business straight from the entrepreneurs who've lived and breathed it. Welcome back to the Buy, Grow, Sell podcast. My next guest is Anson Sobey. He runs a company called Battery, which is really like an advertising marketing agency out of California. Really cool guy. Really enjoyed my time with him. I really know you're going to enjoy this episode because he's got so many insights to share with you. You know, they're a professional services company, but to be honest, the lessons and insights that, that Anson shares really do apply to any company. You know, he's grown a business quite successfully to an eight-figure sort of turnover, so over 10 mil, before they ultimately brought on some investors to help them further expand the business. Um, they now have offices um, through US, Canada, Shanghai, so that, you know, obviously the, the growth plan is really working. But he talks a lot about how he was able to get some advisors in well before they actually needed growth capital and the, the absolute integral lessons that those advisors imparted for Anson and his, his partner, Phil, so that when they actually saw an opportunity that, that enabled them to get that capital on board, they really knew what they, were, that they needed to do. They were well positioned to, to raise capital and continue growing the business. You know, and he talks about the culture of, of the buyers and connection and having to form trust and all the lessons he's learned along the way. Such a valuable, valuable uh, episode. I really enjoyed it. I know you will too. This is Anson Sobey. Hi, Anson. Welcome to the Buy, Grow, Sell podcast. Hi. Thanks for having me. My pleasure indeed. Anson, I, I know we're going to get to talk about your business, um, Battery, and I know you've, you've actually run a few different companies in your history there, but m- maybe you could kick off and just give us a little bit of your background and, and kind of what led to you, um, you know, being a co-founder of Battery. Yeah, yeah. Uh, good question. Uh, without trying to deliver too long of an answer, I, I was born to two entrepreneurs I think both of my parents are entrepreneurs in very different ways. So it was definitely something that whether I realized it or not, subconsciously probably was within me. And then, you know, once I graduated university, I started working in, in video games development and, and got into marketing. And, and at that time, the games industry was really starting to shift from, you know, physical discs that were sold at retail to now what the games industry is, you know, downloadable content, you know, over the internet. And so we, with Battery, uh, my latest company, we saw an opportunity with the video game industry to help market. We, we knew the products needed to be marketed a different way, with just this huge shift in how consumers were consuming them. So Battery was originally started off as a means to help the video game industry. And then we, we grew and leapfrog into a lot of other different industries from there. Yeah, nice, nice. Um, I, I'm curious, you know, you mentioned your two parents there. It's... Um, 
you know, I've met so many different entrepreneurs and business owners over the years. And I just have this question in my mind as to, you know, are, are entrepreneurs somewhat born or are they made? I mean, often I think the question gets asked about leadership in a lot of ways too. But, um, you know, do you think, um, you know, so were, were your parents were obviously, it sounds like they were a very, very big influence um, in, in your thinking and the, I guess the way you approach business. Yeah, no, they were. On, on, on one side, my mom had a very uh, flashy business because she was a sitcom director in Hollywood in the 80s, so directed like A-Team wow. and What's Happening Now in L.A. Law, you know, quote, unquote, very sexy stuff. And my dad was probably on the opposite side of that. He was an, uh, an optometrist. Not that taking care of people's eyeballs isn't sexy, but it's not quite as, you know, cool on the surface as that. But, you know, just I think being hanging out in my dad's office as a kid and taking out the trash and just working in his office and then being babysat on movie sets and TV sets. And Mr. T used to let me, you know, hold all of his gold chains and hand me his fake AK-47s, <laughs> which, you know, is totally normal in LA, right? It sounds like such a bizarre upbringing, but I think just, just physically and literally just being around businesses and, and seeing that, it, it definitely kind of infused in me. And then Again, long story short, I was raised in the Mormon church and I served a Mormon mission in Brazil. And so then, then I kind of honed, you know, the sales aspect. I have since left the Mormon church, long story. But, you know, then I learned really how to be a sales guy, just literally not door to door for two years. So I think, I think that mix of, you know, learning sales, if you consider religion sales, you know, and then just being raised literally on the floor of, of, of businesses kind of just infused it in me, I think. Yeah, that is so cool. I, I reckon every, uh, I was going to say every kid my age, because I still don't think I've grown up properly, but um, I reckon everybody our age is like, you just described the best childhood ever. We all wanted to be on the scene with B.A. Baracus. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> and he was always so nice to kids. Uh, he was not as yeah. always nice to adults, but for kids, he was the best. <laughs> that's cool. That's really cool. Um, so, so you, obviously, you, you uh, I mean, I'll focus a little bit on battery because I know you've got a, a number of different things in your in your background. But um, you're a co-founder. So, uh, how did that start? I'm, I'm sort of curious. You know, you, you you know, businesses start. People go into business sometimes with friends or ex colleagues. You know, was it well planned? Did you fall into it? Well, what what were the early days like? Yeah, so I started it uh, with someone else uh, named Phil, who's still my business partner and co-founder uh, till today. Uh, he was definitely much more on the creative side, and I was a bit more on the marketing and sales and business side. I, I, I joke, well, it's not a joke. I'm not talented enough to be 100% of a creative, and I'm probably not smart enough to be 100% of a business guy. So of course, you go into advertising, which is you know a mix of both. And and Phil, Phil and I were very at it, but yet he had enough of a business mind and had a huge creative mind. I had a bit more of a business mind with a bit. So it, it truly was this kind of yin and yang. And I think it was just that, that respect from, from the beginning. And, and, and we, were, we were very adamant, realized we needed each other. We needed each other's brains. And Neither of us could do it by ourselves. Obviously, even the two of us together could not do it, hence you grow. But we were very specific and realized what each of us brought to the table. So we had worked together previously. Uh, and then again, had this idea about video games and this and that, and then came together. Yeah, sweet. I was going to ask how the relationship came about, whether it was, you know, did you meet as, as colleagues or was it friends? And, you know, I think there's always this question of going into business with your friends and can that cause issues? And obviously we've seen it cause issues, but it's, um, but yeah, so, okay, so you worked in a previous life together. 
form the relationship. Obviously, you get to know each other a little bit and trust each other and you see the fit. So yeah, that's that's the history. Yeah, cool. Okay. Um, when you started the company, was there any kind of discussion around long-term vision in terms of what do we actually want to build here or was it more just, you know, you guys kind of saw an idea and you're just going for it? A little bit of of both, probably at the beginning, more of an idea and we were going for it. I, again, that, that idea about the games industry, but we were also very adamant that we weren't just building a video game marketing company. We knew we wanted to leapfrog and move into other categories. We're very specific in the beginning about mapping it out. Wow, would it be nice to go here and go there and we could bring this video game model to alcohol or to youth marketing for banking, you know, but it, it was, it was definitely more focused on filling that immediate need. I mean, you know, with any new business, I think it's impossible for any new business to build a five-year plan or God knows a 10-year plan. At the beginning, you're just trying to make payroll and just, you know, trying to tread water. We were trying to think long-term, but it's, it's so difficult. It's so tough to do that. You know, you get dragged back into the immediate pretty quickly when you've got a burning platform, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. And, and, and you can't make payroll. You can't, you can't keep the lights yeah. on. Exactly right. Yeah. No, I've been there. I've been involved in a few startups and it's, uh, yeah, I think, I think it, it's, you, you take a moment to think, geez, wouldn't that be nice in the future? And then it's, that's about as long as I think you can afford to give it. So it's, <laughs> it is far more immediate, but, um, so, so talk to me a little bit about how you, you got started and, and you know, I've saw it, seen that you've, you've had some amazing clients over the years, which I'm sure you'll expand on, but what, what did those early sort of days look like? Did you get some quick traction? Did you have to put capital in to keep the business going at the, at the beginning? What, what were those early sort of years look, looking like? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, uh, so it was a little bit of both. We, we had a few big clients who really took a chance on us, clients who had known us from previous companies and, and previous businesses. So we had some big name clients who honestly just took a chance on us. And when we were three, four people in a room, we had no business, you know, working on budgets that big in those clients. But I think the, the personal relationships and our past experience uh, had, had carried us over. And But, you know, it's, it's very much probably the typical tale of entrepreneurs of not only not taking salaries, but you know, selling homes and putting that money directly into the bank account and lines of credit. And but again, when you're when you're a new company, it's very difficult to get a loan. It's very difficult to get a line of credit. But luckily, with these big name clients, we were able to get some lines of credits and, and loans. So you know, hugely indebted to those people who you know took a chance on us. Yeah, that's awesome. You know, without wanting to get too personal, I don't know. Are you married? Do you have kids? You know, what? What? You know, if so, were you married at the time? Like, what, what was what was the personal life like at uh, going through those early stressful stages? Yeah, no, both of us, both Phil and I, married, still married. <laughs> Thank God, both still married <laughs> and both have kids. Uh, and my second was born. Two months after we started Battery, and I look back on that and think, oh, "Wow, was I just insane, or was I just so full of hubris, and maybe a combination of of both?" But I, I, I can't, I still can't believe that that's how the timing worked out. But you don't think of it at that time. You're, you're just, you're just going, you're just going. So I mean, obviously, kudos were alive for, you know, doing everything they did to, to support us. Yeah, oh man, I, I I get it. Yeah, my my wife and I have done every business together, 
and uh, and our first one, she we started basically, and she was she just gave birth to our second child as well. So I know you sort of look back and go, what what was on our minds at that time? <laughs> My goodness, but yeah, I think I think for me, I I didn't know I'd, I'd spend time in and out of corporate, so it was, sometimes it's easy to know what I didn't want to go back to. So it's like, well, there's only one way forward. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, and and. When did you, so you said you four, four people in a room and all the rest of it. Can you give me an idea? I know you started in 2013, but can, can you talk to me a little bit about the growth of the business? Um, I don't know if you can talk generally about revenue and stuff like that, but certainly staff and whatever else. Yeah. So, you know, pretty early on in late 2014, Warner Brothers was was one of our first big, big, big clients, you know, in, in the video games division. So for, you know, household franchises like Lego and Batman and, and Mortal Kombat. And, you know, our, our revenue, you know, tripled and quadrupled then from 2014 to 2015 uh, on the backs of these big, you know, global video game campaigns. And so we were, you know, it, 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 was, it was a pinch yourself moment when we we're on the back lot of Universal Studios, you know, blowing up buildings with crews of, you know, two, 300 people shooting, you know, the Batman uh, video game commercial. It, it was it was part of, holy crap, I don't know if you can curse on this, I'll say crap, holy crap. You definitely can. Okay, okay, <laughs> holy fuck, no, holy crap, I, we, we better really do this now. We just blew up a building yeah. to then the other side of, oh my God, we just blew a building, this is awesome, this is great. But, you know, we're not pinching ourselves in front of the clients. We're, we're acting like we've been there before. And so, you know, Warren Brothers is big. And so, so that, that really helped us, you know, uh, 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 you know, grow our staff quite a bit more. But even at that time when we're, you know, writing scripts for Batman, it was just, you know, four or five people uh, in a room. Because at that time, it was challenging. Because it was project-based, right? You know, yes, Batman is big, but it's a five-month project. So how can you really staff full-time people for five-month projects? You, you, you can't because you don't want to let them go. So there's a lot of freelancers and a lot of temporary employees, which become very expensive and obviously like, you know, very costly to the P&L and the bottom line. And then the company slowly started to shift to more retainer, you know, annual clients rather than these big, uh, you know, in and out uh, project jobs. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think you've just described the perennial problem for every professional services company, right? Uh, I think, I think, I know, and I speak for myself here too, you know, I think you start out doing a lot of project work and looking for how do we mature this business into something more stable and reliable. And um, what, what, did you find that transition a challenge with your clients? So that's, that's when we started to expand in different industries, when we went into alcohol with uh, Mike's Hard Lemonade or, or financial services with uh, the Royal Bank of Canada or today food with Land O'Lakes Dairy. And then we were able to move into these categories where annual retainers were more customary versus entertainment. A lot of times what we find it, it is, it's very job focused. It's very project focused. It's very, you know, short term focus. And then moving into these leapfrogging into these other, you know, uh, adjacent categories allowed us to build those annual retainers and then hire the full time and then convert. Cause at that time we were probably 90% freelancer temp employee and 10% full time. And then, you know, now we're, you know, the, the opposite of that. And I, I think it really took not just maturing as a company, but moving into those categories where that was more customary than entertainment. 
Yeah, that's that's really interesting. It's um, so I think I think a lot of companies do struggle to make that kind of transition. Is there what do you feel like? I don't know if you want to share what sort of underpins a, an ongoing service with a lot of your clients. I mean, I can I can see a project, right? Oh, we're going to shoot this thing. We're going to blow up this building. It's all big, you know, very very specific. So, what does what does that regular sort of client look like? You mean in terms of the more longer annual retainer clients? Yeah, like what sort of services are you providing in those kind of scenarios? Yeah, so that's like you said, it's definitely more long term than short term. It's it's mapping out the year. Where where is the business going? Do they have a new product innovation? Are they moving into a new market? Are they are they expanding their customer base? A lot more strategic focus. A lot more mapping their business to the consumers, and then coming up with those creative ideas. Whether it's commercials, billboards, digital, social, etc. It's definitely more these these long these much more less defined scopes in terms of what, you know, we, we know where we want to go, but we don't know how we're going to get there versus yes, to your point, here is this video game. It comes out this day. Here's the budget. Obviously it's not as easy as go blow up a building, but you know, it's, it, it's more of a strategic longer term uh, uh, focus. Yeah. Nice. Nice. Um, and, and what was the, what's the trajectory? So how big is the firm now in terms of staff? So staff were about 75 people. So those are full-time in LA and Chicago. And then we have a few people we've started to hire in Toronto uh, and Shanghai out in China. Yeah, cool. That's an interesting one. I'll pick on for a second. But, you know, what was the move like into Shanghai? I mean, clearly, you know, cultural differences, even the legal system is very, very different how did you find that that move? Yeah, so in Shanghai right now, we focus on video games. So it's largely mobile gaming publishers that are based in China that are looking to market their games to Western territories. You know, we are definitely not the experts of I, I wouldn't know how to market a game in China for the life of me. But these games who have grown so much in Asia, they're then looking to expand to Europe or North America or, you know, Asia, let's say, you know, Australia, New Zealand, et cetera, you know, not, not, you know, Asian countries in, in that part of the world and, and then Latin America. So, so the one part is it's an industry that we know because it's, it's games and it's territories that we know. But yes, the client relationship, the way clients do business. Wow. I mean, it is just completely different than we know, you know, and just in terms of educating them on, you know, when you blow up the building, you need insurance and the, 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 the certain types of actors, you know, just everything that we take for granted here. Uh, a lot of those rules either don't apply or they're different. So, so much of it is educating clients there on that. But, but yet we're leaning back on territories we know and consumers we know and industries we know. But in the, the, obviously the relationship with the clients is, is uh, very, very different. So different. Yeah, yeah, it's fascinating. It's um, you know, I've done a little bit of work around sort of cross-border transactions and growth and stuff like that. And it's yeah, you're uh, you're right. There's so many things too that I think when people start out with this idea of we'd like to expand in this other territory, there's so many things they, they don't even think of um, until they're in the, in the actual territory and experiencing it. So it's it's um, it's it can be a certainly can be a highly rewarding activity, but obviously highly high risk too particularly when there's different languages, different legal systems, different 
you know, I think going from the US to Australia, it's like, eh, we're all pretty similar. We just sound a little bit different. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, look, it's, uh, I've, I've, you know, we even have a team in the Philippines and we go to Singapore, but it's, it's, it's yeah, it's interesting. Um, so at what, at what point on your journey? So obviously battery, you've been through a transaction and brought on some investors. Um, can you talk to me a little bit about, and I'd love to get into what that looked like in terms of how you find them and what do they actually acquire and all that sort of stuff. But what, what was the sort of trigger for you in your business journey where you realised you perhaps needed some external capital or, or further investment? And, and what, was that, what was underpinning that? So, I mean, when Phil and I started the business, we had, we had an idea or an inkling or a hypothesis, whatever you want to call it, that there would come a time where to truly scale, we couldn't do it organically. We couldn't bootstrap it, that we, we would need to bring on either funding or VC or agency holding company. We knew there would come a time to do that. We just obviously had no idea when. So pretty early on, we started interviewing bankers and saying, hey, we think at some point we're going to need to do this. We don't know how to do it, but help us structure the company so when we're ready, we'll be ready. And we, we found a group of bankers who we really liked and, and they were amazing and stayed with us for, you know, I want to say it was about three, four years before we even did the transaction. They just said, hey, you know what? You got to put this in place from a seat. You have to put this in place, put that in place. Think about that. Think about that. Very, very, very light touch. Um, and then it got to the point where we, we did this work for Netflix, where uh, Netflix came to us and asked us to uh, help, help launch them into stand-up comedy. Because back then, Netflix did not have every Kevin Hart special and Chris Rock special. And they sent HBO, right? And Showtime really owned that. So we came up with this idea called Netflix is a joke. And it, it blew up into something much, much bigger globally than we could have thought. And we started to get a lot of knocks on our doors for opportunities that we couldn't we just couldn't complete. It was, it, it was so disheartening because it was these big, huge opportunities that we knew we just loved. And we knew, and we, we loved a couple of them, to be perfectly honest. And it got to that point said, okay, imagine if we had this and that. I think this is now the time. So we said to the bankers, all right, let's go through the process. And it took about a year and we went and met with a lot of different, you know, whether it was VCs funding us or I shouldn't say bees, private equity, or do we sell the whole thing? Do we sell a particular? So we went through a process and, and we landed on Habas and, and, and really liked them. And I can go into that if it makes sense. But that, that was really the process of knowing that we, we would need to do it at some point, getting ready, and then pulling the trigger when we were getting the opportunities that we just couldn't, we couldn't handle on our own. That's a, that's a really interesting journey, and I think there's, for me already there's a couple of really great takeaways there, but, um, and, and the first being that, you know, it was really opportunity was, it was almost like the, there's opportunity cost, right? It's not, hey, if we build it, they will come. It was, hey, if we don't do this, we're going to be losing out on a massive opportunity, and I think that from both a, a, as an entrepreneur, founder, business owner ex, um, perspective is de-risked. But therefore, it's also de-risk for investors, right? They can they can see it. You don't have to convince them that there's this magic pot of gold down the road if you just throw money at us. Um, you know, and I think that's a great lesson for business owners out there who are, are thinking about um, raising capital. You know, don't don't assume you'll go and create a market. You need the opportunity to be there and available and visible 
um, to, to want to convince investors to come on board. Um, uh, can I take one step back though? Because you mentioned these bankers and they're and the working with you a little bit over a period of time. And I'm, I'm, I'm just curious, was there one or two kind of really key things they advise you on that, that, you know, hey, you need to implement this in your business? Like, was there a couple there that you think really made a massive difference to you or perhaps was something that you just hadn't been thinking about, wasn't on your radar that really added an enormous amount of value to your business? So they help upgrade our finance and operations. And when I say upgrade, I mean, actually build our finance and operations and introduce us to uh, the gentleman at that time who became our CFO and introduced the CFO and said, hey, and, our, and our, at that time, our CFO came in, instituted all the things you would normally have to have in a professional services firm, the ability to manage project P&Ls better, you know, a, a, a time entry management, uh, uh, you know, even even our 401ks, our health plans, just just all the finance and operate, just the building blocks. And they introduced us to him, and I think we hired him before we had even met him in person because we 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 had already actually known of him the work he had done with other agencies. So that was a massive, 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 and from there, just the dominoes fell. Yeah, wow. Do you know it's so timely we're having this conversation because um, you know we just did a, a our one of our monthly mail outs to our our um, clients and our list of of. of People in our community, and and we were talking about the importance of of getting your finance uh, function running properly, um, and and part of this has come from the fact that we've got a number of clients we've represented in the past, even that we're representing now, who are into significant eight figure turnover and don't have a CFO. In fact, they had they still are using the the lady on who's self taught on MYOB managing the books and it's like seriously guys like it's not just about somebody punching in entries into MIB there's a, a financial strategic piece here that would add an enormous amount of value to your business and and I just think a lot of particularly family owned businesses it's easy just to keep doing what you're doing without kind of stepping out of things and saying well hang on what are we actually missing here um I, I'm curious and and I don't want to once again pry on something that might be too personal but can you give us an indication of your turnover at the time? You don't have to say a number, but was it seven or eight figures? Can you, can you share something like that? Yeah, yeah, it was eight figures. So it, it was over ten million uh, at the time before we before we did the transaction. Yeah, yeah, and that's 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 interesting, right? Because we, we and and it's actually what we said in this message is, you know, if you're hitting ten million, you don't have somebody in your team whose responsibility it is to help with this stuff. You could be missing stuff that's going to cost you a lot more money than that person's salary package. So, um, so that's really interesting, and it's great to see that. Um, yeah, look, it's an, just another example of where it's had a massive impact, and, and obviously helped you grow your business. Yeah, that's cool. Um, so, leading into the um, into the sort of transaction side of things, from the time you guys re- had this moment, you realise actually maybe now's the time to bring in some external investors. How long did that process take? What did it look like? Did you engage advisors to run the whole thing? Can you give us a flavor of that uh, part of the process? Yeah, so our, our, our bankers served as those advisors as well. You know, before then, there had been some companies that ha- had approached us. So we met, we sat with the advisors, okay, let's look at who's approached us in the past. Do we go back to them now? Uh, bankers, who do you think we should go out to? 
and they came up with a list and then we you know, came up with a third list together and then we 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 prepared our materials prepared our our deck and and you know and to your point the opportunities that we were getting but couldn't fulfill at our size uh you know prepared all of our whatever it was at the time two three four year financials and and started those those conversations so met with definitely 10 plus different companies at the time uh, and then honed in on uh, Havas and then uh, it was probably about a 12 month process. And then it was June of 2019 uh, that we signed the the deal with Havas. Yeah. Nice. Nice. So sorry. What was the total length of the, 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 the process? Yeah, I'd say it was about 12 months or so. It was probably about summer to summer and maybe even a little bit before that, but yeah, probably 12 to 18 months or so. It definitely took a lot longer than I thought it would take. Even when we, you know, honed in with Havas, I just, you know, again, there, there's so many things. And when you're dealing with these multinational global companies with 80 offices, there's, there's a lot of hoops to jump through on their side. So took, took a lot longer than I would have uh, thought before that. Yeah, yeah. Once again, so many really awesome things um, to unpack there and, and, and tips for business owners listening. You know, one, for me, when you said 12 months, I went, yep, that's about standard. Um, you know, I, I always say to our clients, you've got to give us 12 months. Like we might get it done in nine, but it might take 15 or 18, just depending on your scenario. And the, the last thing you want to do is rush something for the matter of a couple of months that's going to change your life forever. So it's, you know, you've got to get this right and and you want to be as efficient and quick as you can without rushing to the point that you're making mistakes and missing stuff. <laughs> and that's, yes. that can be a delicate balance, I think, for some people. And I don't know, as a business owner, did you feel frustrated through that process or, or, or did you just have the confidence it was in hand? What, how did you feel during that, that, that time? Completely frustrated. <laughs> no, I mean, there was, there was emotions. Emotions were going the gamut from A to Z, you know. At times, it honestly, was really challenging. It, it very easy to take your eye off the ball. You know, we're Phil and I are here to run a business, yet feel like you have a conference call with seven lawyers every day to go over the purchase agreement or the outline. Very difficult. I found it very difficult to compartmentalize those things. Uh, I wish we were all robots, but emotions come into play, and it, it, it becomes an emotional. I mean. It, it 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 was a roller coaster. It was it was a difficult process. I, so so many learnings. I, I you know so many things I do differently. Thankfully, it ended okay. But there, I found it very tough, really tough. Yeah, yeah. That's that's. Thank you for sharing that. I mean, I think it's um, I, people don't often talk about what was going on in their head. I think you know we're too used to the um. You know the Instagrammable post. Oh, we started a business, and then five years later, we raised ten million bucks or whatever it is. And hey, we're all just so super successful and so so easy. Like, um, you know, and obviously that's what this show's about is to say, hey, you know, like, what's it actually like? What's it really like? Um, and for some people, that is their story. But I would say that's like two percent of people. Everybody else has a a bit more of a journey to go through. <laughs> And those people are still lying. Even even the two percenters are still a bit full of BS. That's my experience, you know. <laughs> yeah, I agree with you. I agree with you. Um, can, can you talk to me um, once again, cognizant of confidentiality here? Um, when you brought on the investor, was it a minority stake? Was it a majority stake? So what did you sell? 
and if you can't tell us the valuation, um, if you can, great. But if you can't, can you tell us what methodology or mechanism do they use to calculate the number? Yeah, it was it was really traditional as it relates to agency holding companies, you know, buying agencies. So it was a it was a controlling stake, which was you know public at that time, uh, and then a multi year earnout, which you know is very common uh, in these type of transactions because a lot of times the holding companies are buying the founders or, or buying the people you know that that are are in the business and you know the the earnout is uh, you know an, an era of that initial stake and then you know eventually and we're still in the middle you know of that earnout right now you know pretty pretty typical calculations of you know top line revenue you know and bottom line you know EBIT and you know a formula that stretches out, you know, uh, longer than the Golden Gate Bridge to, you know, calculate those formulas, but pretty, pretty traditional, you know, in terms of, you know, buying that stake and then, and then earning out uh, that, that stake over a number of years. And, and that is an important and really important thing to note here, you know, particularly with professional services companies that earnouts are very common. Um, you know, there is such a human element to the business and what underpins value. So, so buyers are looking to manage risk with those earnouts. Um, in terms of the valuation itself, was it just a multiple of EBITDA or something like that, or was there another mechanism they used? Yeah, it was. It was. It was. It was that you know a combination of EBITDA and top line. Obviously, at that time, you know, uh, looking at formulas of what other agencies are going for. You know, in our space, you know, at that time we were just a creative agency, so we weren't data, we weren't media. So you know, I I would assume from their side, it's comparing. You know, again. Havas, you know, being such a big company, we we were one of you know multiple transactions they did that year in different countries uh, across the world. So they had their own centralized uh, M and A, you know, machine were you know to go through it, and it it, it definitely you know a, a traditional method of of calculating that uh, on their end. Yeah, and I, th- I think that's also a really important point for people because I. Um... I see a lot of people, they go and get valuations and, and I, I think in some cases, you know, they'll speak to their accountant and, and often it's easy to do some basic formulas to try to determine a company valuation. But I think, you know, and certainly what I'm hearing from you is that the buyers, what they're relying on is, is previous transactions. You know, what's actually really happening in the market, not a theoretical calculation to the side. It's, well, we know of 20 businesses just like yours that have sold and here were the variables that were across those businesses, and here's where we think you sit. Um, you know that that real life kind of rubber hit meeting road, I, I think, is so important for people who are thinking about valuing their business or understanding, you know, what it might be worth or what they want it to be worth. Yeah, I think so too. And you know, and honestly, that's what appealed to us about not selling 100% of it. You know, for a lot of people. Earnouts can be really bad, or it can be really good, or it can be somewhere in the middle. But you know, we believe that our best years were still ahead of us, so therefore, that's what is theoretically good or should be good about an earnout. You have that time to then grow your business to a higher valuation when your earnout is complete. Obviously, it can go the exact opposite way. If your business contracts, then 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 it's less. But that's the that's that's the deal we we all sign. You know. Yeah, look, absolutely. I mean, there's always there's always risk in in, in business, right? And I, but I, I've certainly had a few guests on our show that um, they've kept a portion, whether it was you know it could have been fifteen twenty percent, can be more, whatever. But 
I've had a number of them that when they eventually sold that final portion, you know, which was a small, much smaller stake, they actually got more money for that smaller portion than they did in the initial transaction because the company had grown so much. And so, you know, and I think that's obviously the founder's dream, right? If you're going to hang around, you you kind of want that second bite of the cherry. So, um, so yeah, look, I think those all those things are certainly possible. But um, yeah, look, I do like your point there. I mean, it is important to understand that there is the potential it doesn't go that way. And I guess equally, we've had a lot of people on this show that have walked away from walk, earnouts because they just weren't happy too. So yeah. um, it, so it leads me kind of to my, my next question. I mean, how important was culture and relationships and, and the way you felt about the buyers? How important is that piece when you're speaking to prospective acquirers? I mean, we're in a people business, right? Because we're selling hours of people's time and a creative business. So I think that was very important to us. Also, very difficult to truly gauge. We had never met any of these people before, yet we did feel like we got along well with them. And I guess that's the good thing about the process. It's not as if we met them on a Friday and we sold the company on a Monday. No, it was, you know, it's a multi-month process and you do get to know them a lot better throughout that process. And, you know, theoretically, obviously either side could back away before the deal is signed and and neither side did. And the 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 more we got to know them, the better we like them. And and look, I, I know this sounds cheesy, but we're now a few years in. And they constantly surprise me that they're actually better than I would have thought. And I never would have thought in, in a million, and I'm, I'm not trying to be the two percent Instagrammer, but we, we, I, I think we did truly, you know, find some really great people who actually surprised us, uh, you know, through, through the, the years. Still plenty of time for all of it to go to shit. But for now, it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, I'm, I mean, first of all, congratulations. I mean, look, I just, I think that's fabulous. I, I think what you've described there is what most people hope for. And, you know, I think there's, um, I think if I can extrapolate from your story a little bit here, it's, you know, if you want to get to that kind of right outcome, you really need to have the right people on board around you, helping you de- de- deliver the right kind of process and give yourself enough time to find the right outcome. And I, I think the hard part for most business owners, and you know, correct me if you had a different experience here, but I think most of them start out realizing they need to do something, but you don't actually know what that end result actually looks like. Even, even from a deal structure, you can't you can't say, I want this exact deal structure at the beginning because the buyers are going to be all completely different and have their own views. So that level of uncertainty is, is hard for people to manage. No, you're absolutely right. Each buyer has their own agenda and what they're trying to do. And we're not always privy to, to that. I mean, you know, and I think throughout the whole process, it's just eating a big slice of humble pie. I, I do think entrepreneurs are a lot like politicians. We kind of do have egos. That's why we start businesses, because we think we can do it better than someone else, not too dissimilar to a politician having a pretty big ego. And I, at least my experience has really been humbling. It's been slapped in the face. It's been punched, thankfully not literally, but it's been saying, no, Anson, you don't know what's right. You need to hire someone who knows it because you don't know what's right. And I, I think that becoming less full, yeah, I think we all have healthy egos. That's what makes us entrepreneurs. And that's wonderful. 
But I think over time, it's gotta, it's gotta be less because the, the business just can't, at least our business can't grow with that mindset. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, look, and I think that's a universal principle. So yeah, I appreciate you sharing it. It's um, so important. Um, and so I'm, I'm, I'm cognizant of time. You've been so generous so far and sharing your story with us. I, I really love it. Do you, um, I, I don't know, are you happy for people to reach out and connect with you? Um, I don't know if you, you know, can maybe even talk us through, I don't know if you're in Australia, by the way, or if you have clients in Australia, like what sort I of wish. people do you guys? Yeah. <laughs> well, you can welcome to come and open an office. I'm more than happy to show you around. So, uh, you know, I'm sure there's a business trip in there somewhere. <laughs> but are, are you cool with people reaching out and connecting with you? Of course. Yeah. Yeah, awesome. Um, obviously, I've got your LinkedIn details there and, and whatnot, but um, um, it, I, I don't know. It, it, we've got a few minutes. Is is there, um, you know, is, I don't know if it's worth you talking through more about what you guys are doing or if there's anywhere we want to point people in terms of um, what you guys do or who you're helping and how you can help? Yeah, I mean, just just our site, batteryagency.com. You can see all the buildings we're blowing up. Unfortunately, we haven't blown up buildings in a while. Uh, but yeah, you can just see everything, you know, we're, we're up to there. I mean, I, you know, I think the, obviously the video game industry is so interesting, you know, with social networking and, and where that's going. And obviously how will the recession, you know, impact global markets, very sensitive to that with our different clients, you know, it can be challenging with the global currency these days as the dollar becomes stronger against other currencies, we then become battery becomes more expensive. For some of our clients, so there's a lot of a lot of challenges that we're we're, we're trying to uh, deal with. That was not the answer you were probably looking for, but you know, it's 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 a challenging time for sure. Yeah, absolutely, and I think too, from you know, certainly looking at the size of the clients you help and the kind of work that you do with them, it's it's you're not selling widgets. This is the sort of thing where people want to drive long-term growth or really drive a, a, a successful project. And they're looking for the guys who have the experience, the runs on the board, the, they know how to drive these type of things for the right kind of company. So, you know, I, I think like any good thing out there, you need to invest in it. And that's not just financial, it's time. And so, you know, I think for those listening who, you know, want the type of creative agency that that knows how to deliver on big projects and deliver that kind of growth, well, you know, you should look up battery and, you know, I'm probably sure Anson has a bunch of people in his team who you'd probably end up speaking to because, as I mentioned, he's a pretty busy guy. But, uh, you, you know, look, certainly check them out. We will put some links to their business in our in the show notes uh, along with Anson's LinkedIn profile. Um, please, if you reach out to Anson, please make a note. Tell him that maybe you heard him on the podcast so he understands kind of where you're coming from and it's not just some random person saying connect. Um, you know, we're, we are all people here and it's, um, yeah, it's, uh, I, I always laugh, Anson, you probably get this yourself. People just send you connection requests and it, I, I liken it to standing in a bar and somebody just stands next to you and stares at you. Um, you know, it's, it's just weird. I sort of going, what does this person want? I don't, I don't, I don't get it. So <laughs> anyway, <laughs> Anson, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for coming on the show and sharing your story. Um, I'm really appreciative. Thanks, Simon. I appreciate it. It was a lot of fun. It was my pleasure. Cool. All right, guys, check out the show notes. Thanks for listening. And, uh, you know, if you want to connect with Anson, you can find the links in there and uh, we'll see you on the next episode. The ultimate freedom is to own a company that is valuable, scalable and saleable. 
Find out how you score on the eight factors that drive company value by completing the Value Builder questionnaire. Upon completion, we will send through your business scorecard so you can see how to maximize the value of your company. Just go to exitadvisory.com.au forward slash scorecard. The Buy, Grow, Sell podcast is brought to you by Exit Advisory Group, a boutique M&A firm that helps business owners maximize company value and exit at the top of their game. To learn more about Exit Advisory Group, you can go to exitadvisory.com.au. And if you like what you've just heard, you can subscribe at buygrowsell.com to get a new episode delivered to your inbox each week. Thank you for listening to the Buy, Grow, Sell podcast with Simon Bedard. For complete show notes with links to additional resources, visit buygrowsell.com forward slash episodes. Simon is the founder and CEO of Exit Advisory Group, and you can follow him on LinkedIn. LinkedIn.